Welcome back to another episode of the Portal Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Clinton, editor and columnist for Heartland College Sports. If you like our show, please consider subscribing and leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and send a screenshot to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com and we will get you a free Heartland College Sports koozie out in the mail. Wow. What a week uh, in the transfer portal, especially whenever it comes to softball. Uh, just one weekend is all Oklahoma fans got to enjoy a third straight national championship uh, after a great season, a remarkable season in which the, the Sooners won 53 straight games. Um, the elation and excitement came crashing down on Monday when Jordy Ball announced that she was leaving the Oklahoma program. Now, if you're not aware, uh, you should be. Jordy Ball is arguably the best pitcher in all of softball. She's just a sophomore. She had two seasons at Oklahoma, maintained a 1.0 ERA, over 288 innings pitched. She had 397 strikeouts to just 41 earned runs. While, and she was 44-2 and two in her time at OU. Uh, most recently at the Women's College World Series, she was a perfect 4-0. She threw 24 and two-thirds scoreless innings with 33 strikeouts, and she scored two runs as a pinch runner. So she outscored the opponents that she pitched against 2 to nothing, And she was just incredible for the Sooners. And the biggest and baddest team in softball now has some questions heading into the 2024 season, which is still a ways out. And I'm sure that the Sooners will find a way to to add some depth in the pitching staff. But the issue is you could run into Jordy Ball down the line. And this is somebody who single-handedly is able to shut down uh, some of the best offenses in, in college softball. And she has seen the Oklahoma batting staff for two years now and so it's just an incredible loss for the Sooners and here's the deal the most the the there's not very many times when the Oklahoma fan base is amicable for people leaving or transferring out or maybe not staying at their school or committing to their school it's just a very passionate fan base but they could not have reacted any better on social media than they did on Monday Obviously, they realize the weight uh, that comes with a player like Jordy Ball, how polarizing she is for the sport of softball. And it was there was a lot of gratitude and a lot of thank yous and a lot of good lucks and go be greats and things like that, which I have to give the Oklahoma fan base some credit for. But it's still a really, really difficult loss. We just don't see this kind of thing happen in the transfer portal. And really, I I would venture to say that this is unprecedented whenever it comes to the transfer portal. Because look, most of the time, 99.999% of the time, whenever a player leaves a team, he he or she is looking for a better opportunity, a better chance at winning a title or a championship, or simply making more money. Now, just wearing the Oklahoma 
jersey in softball is going to give you name, image, and likeness opportunities that you wouldn't have in other places. Uh, winning it, it just breeds it breeds those opportunities. And so, I think if the reason Jordy Ball was leaving was for name, image, and likeness reasons, then I, I think that Oklahoma would have found a way to to keep her. But I don't think that had anything to do with it. I think this is simply a case of going home. She was homesick. She said it. Um, it was kind of the word around the program whenever the rumors started circling. Uh, and you could really just, you could tell by how often she um, went back home and, and you would see on her Instagram posts that she was back home with family uh, when she could be. And um, she would, you know, she wasn't spending time in Norman with, with friends. She was back home with family, which uh, you can't, you can't blame somebody for that, especially an 18, 19 year old, 20 year old, uh, college athlete that's eight eight hours from home. And so I think we're seeing something that just you, you don't see, especially at the college level, maybe at the professional level. The the one uh, comparison that I've heard that, that really resonated with me was this was just, this was like LeBron James going back home to Cleveland. LeBron James went home to Cleveland so he could bring Cleveland a title, and he did that. And I think that Jordy Ball's entire point of leaving Oklahoma after winning two national titles was to hopefully bring that kind of success back to Nebraska. And, you know, perhaps, perhaps it's not a national championship right out the gate. I think that's going to be difficult uh, given the, the change in roster that she's jumping to, but there's no doubt in my mind that the sport of softball will be better in the state of Nebraska because Jordy Ball decided to go back home. And that's really what this is all about. She's growing the sport in her home state, and I think that's admirable. So switching gears, we're going to stay on the uh, topic of Oklahoma, but we're going to switch gears to football, and we're also going to throw Texas into that because we have Oklahoma and Texas 2024 SEC opponents. And I think this is something definitely worth talking about because the implications that this is going to have moving forward, I do not think are are easily overstated. The the Sooners have they they've got a gauntlet in their first year uh in in the SEC. So here are the here are the home games for Oklahoma. Oklahoma will host Alabama. They will host South Carolina and they will host Tennessee. They are also the home game or the home team in the uh, Cotton Bowl against Oklahoma, or against Texas and the Red River rivalry. And so you only get three true home games, two true conference home games uh, if you're Oklahoma. And then on the road, you go to Auburn, to LSU, to Ole Miss and to Missouri. That's rough. That I mean, that is that is just difficult. And I I don't think that I'm stepping out on any toes or anything whenever I say that. That's just a huge that's a step up from what Oklahoma has has had to deal with in the Big 12. And and last year we saw them struggle mightily uh in the Big 12. And so I, there's it's a steep learning curve for, for Brent Venables and, and 
the rest of, of that Oklahoma coaching staff because they don't have long to get this right. You've got one year. You've got one more year to get this right so that you don't embarrass yourselves uh, when you get to the SEC in 2024. And, and look, Oklahoma is one of the proudest traditions in college football. Uh, you don't want to go into the first year in the SEC and, uh, you know, go under 500 or even go 500 in, in conference play. You're looking to go in and win nine games, 10 games. That That is the the expectation. And so uh, that that's a steep climb. And Texas isn't getting off easy either. Uh, while it may not be the gauntlet that, that Oklahoma drew, they still certainly have a couple of teams that, that should scare you if you're a Texas fan. And we, we will start with the home games here. Texas will host Florida, Kentucky, Mississippi State, and then the big one is Georgia. On the road, Texas will visit Arkansas, Texas A&M, and Vanderbilt, and they will also be the designated away team in the Cotton Bowl against Oklahoma. So they only have three true road games. But playing Florida and Georgia and Texas A&M and Arkansas, you know, those are tough. We, we saw what Arkansas did to, to, the, to the Longhorns just a couple of years ago in Fayetteville, and I don't think they're looking forward to, to seeing them again uh, unless they've had some big changes, which I do think they're in a better spot now than they were. But uh, still, just a slate for, for these teams. But this is what they signed up for. This is this is exactly what Oklahoma and Texas signed up for. And why did they sign up for it? Is it for for the money? Sure, absolutely, is for the money. Uh, but it's also for the exposure and the elevation of the the teams. Think about it this way. In 2023. Let's pull this up real quick. The 2023 Oklahoma football home schedule. Oklahoma will host Arkansas State, SMU, UCF, West Virginia, and TCU. Okay? In... 2023 in in the Big 12. Let's just go even. Let's go a step further. In the Big 12, Oklahoma is hosting TCU, West Virginia, UCF, Iowa State. Next year, they will host Alabama, Tennessee, and South Carolina, just in conference play. You don't think that season ticket holders at Oklahoma are trying to buy tickets? For the 2020 season tickets for the 2024 season as quickly as they possibly can, that that those tickets sell themselves. There's no you there you really don't even have to market Alabama coming to town or Tennessee coming to town. Um, you don't have to talk about Shane Beamer returning to Norman uh, with South Carolina or Josh Heupel making his return to Norman after leading them to the 2000 national championship. You don't have to talk about any of that stuff. Those tickets sell themselves, and I think that that's another reason why. They're leaving, and don't think that the recruits don't realize that things are stepping up for the Sooners and Longhorns. They're, they do not have to deal with negative recruiting from the SEC anymore. How many times, and I know that I've heard this several times uh, from people in circles, uh, 
Oklahoma and Texas deal with a lot of negative recruiting from the SEC. The SEC pumps out more NFL players, NFL draft picks than any other conference over the last decade and a half that has been the case. And for the longest time, if you want to be an elite offensive or defensive lineman, somebody in the front seven defensively, um, you go to an SEC school because you're facing Georgia and Alabama and Florida and LSU, and you're facing these teams that perennially pump out just top-end talent that end up going into the NFL. And Oklahoma and Texas have had to overcome that to maintain some level of success in, in recruiting. Now they're a part of that, and their recruiting budgets just went up. Their budgets for uh, stadium renovations and for whatever you need to spend that money on, all of that stuff just went up significantly by joining the SEC. And so, yes, there's a tougher schedule, and yes, you're probably going to take more lumps than you would have beforehand, uh, although Texas was still taking lumps to begin with uh, prior to the last year, and Oklahoma took its fair share in 2022. Um you're taking more lumps each and every year, but I think your program as a whole is elevating as well. So um, it's a, it's a good move for, for the Sooners and Longhorns. And I think it's going to show up in the recruiting classes as well as those teams transition into the sec. And, uh, and, and we see kind of what, what uh, life in a new conference looks like. And speaking of what life in a new conference looks like, we're going to close with this today uh, we've got four new teams heading into the Big 12 in 2023. Actually, we're just two weeks away. We're just 15, 16 days from from four teams being added to the Big 12 with BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF coming into the Big 12 for the first time. And, and just a couple of months after they get here, they'll start their first full football season as a member of the Big 12. So of those four teams, who is the who is the best who is best prepared to be competitive in 2023? Well, today on on Heartland College Sports, uh, I wrote a feature story for for that exactly ranking the four new teams' readiness for the 2023 season, and we'll go in reverse order here. We'll start at four. Uh, the least ready of the four teams, in my opinion. The Houston Cougars. Dan Holgerson is re-entering the Big 12 after he spent eight seasons at West Virginia. And Houston is having to overcome a mass exodus in the transfer portal. They lost several key contributors. Alton McCaskill is the biggest the biggest one. He was expected to be the main offensive contributor uh, for the Cougars in 2023. He is now with the Colorado Buffaloes. Um, and, and he's a former uh, freshman of the year in the AAC. And I, I, when you lose talent like that on a roster that is coming into the Big 12, that, that's just not that's not good. Um, we look at Donovan Smith, the transfer t- from Texas Tech. He's the assumed starter there. And I think he does help um, Dana Holgerson's offensive system if they can, if he can stay healthy, but the the problem is the Cougars were just a mess defensively in 2022. They gave up over 32 points a game. 
Um, they only returned three starters from that unit, so that could be a good thing given how bad they were defensively last year. But in short, I, I just think that Houston has too many problems, uh, too many questions, and I'm really not convinced that they have the right answers uh, to those questions for them to compete in 2023. Uh, so I've got Houston as the least prepared to be uh, competitive in, in 2023. Number three on my list, BYU Cougars. Now look, I, I think Kalani Sataki, he does not get enough credit for what he has done at BYU. He's been extremely successful. The Cougars have been uh, one of the better independent schools not named Notre Dame over the last several years. Uh, but you lose Jaron Hall and Puka Nakua on an offense uh, that was pretty good last season. Um, I just don't know how much I buy into what Keaton Slovis brings to them. Uh, I, I think he can can be a stop, you know, the stopgap for them at quarterback this year. Uh, and Aiden Robbins helps in the backfield uh, as well, but but the defense was a disappointment in 2022. You have a new coordinator in Jay Hill who comes in from Weber State, and I think that he helps uh, shore up some things defensively. They're going to have talent, um, but again, kind of like Houston, I think they've got a lot of questions. And um, to be completely candid, BYU is is a very difficult team to project because they have so many mission requirements. They have they have mission requirements um, being a Mormon school uh, before they're allowed to play football. So in a given year, it's it's kind of hard to remember to to, to see what um, how a kid is going to uh, project on the field when you haven't seen him before, uh, and he may be a couple of years older than than what you're used to seeing a high school player come in and play. So I think it's a, it's a little difficult for me to project them, but I feel pretty comfortable with them being at three uh, out of the four right now. Uh, my number two team coming into the 2023 season is Cincinnati. Now, obviously Cincinnati has got some issues offensively. They may, they might be a mess as they're, they're pretty much replacing everyone from 2022 on the offensive side of the ball, but you get Arizona state transfer Emory Jones and I think he could answer a lot of questions uh, just with his ability to extend plays uh, and do things off script. Um, Scott Satterfield's entering year one with the program taking over uh, after after uh, an eight and five season there at uh, at Louisville. And I think that that it's going to be difficult for for Cincinnati, but I do think that they have the good bones of a program. Uh, that can be successful and be a, a contender in the Big 12 uh, for years to come. I think it might just be a little more challenging than they'd hoped in 2023. Um, but I still expect Cincinnati to be one of the better incoming teams, which is why I have them at two. And obviously that leaves UCF as my number one team coming into the Big 12. And I this was really a, a pretty easy choice for me. Um, the Knights have the best head coach out of the four in Gus Malzahn. They also have the best quarterback coming in in John Rice Pumley. Uh, and I think that that instantly put them at the top of the list for me. Offensively, they should be really good despite losing Ryan O'Keefe from last year. Uh, fantastic receiver. Uh, he's gone now, but I think UCF still has the pieces to be really good offensively. And on the flip side of the ball, UCF returned six starters 
uh, under new defensive coordinator Addison Williams. And so I've, I think the, the Knights have a strong roster that they've built with Florida-grown talent, and I think that that should make them easily the the top team of the four uh, that are coming into the Big 12. And I think that UCF should fight its way into maybe the upper echelon, uh, the top five of the, of the 14 teams in the Big 12. I think they could be in contention to be a top five team in the conference this year. So um, that'll be a, a team to watch and somebody really exciting to follow in their first year as we uh, enter a new era in Big 12 football. That's going to do it for us here today. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We really appreciate you tuning into the show. Remember, if you like our show, please consider subscribing and leaving a five-star rating and review on iTunes and send your screenshot to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com, and he will get you a free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail. I am Brian Clinton, and we will catch you next time out here in the portal.